Welcome to Fright Night. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got Mars. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. Hey, everybody. What's up? And welcome back to another episode with the Jersey Ghouls. And that's right. And tonight we have a very special guest with us. Coming to us from the Windy City and from the AF High List podcast, we'd like to welcome Ashley to the show. Woo! Hi, guys. How's it going? <laughs> Chai Town in the house. Did I say that cool? Is that, like, do you guys refer to it that way or is it just labos who don't live there? <laughs> I think we just like don't refer to ourselves at all. <laughs> <laughs> It's good policy. Not here in Jersey. We like to talk about ourselves as often as possible. Pretty much. Oh, yeah. We just repress everything and just, you know, don't say anything. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we are so excited to have you on because not only are we ridiculously obsessed with how wonderful your podcast is, but we're so excited to get your input on tonight's very mediocre (laughs) selections. (laughs) Well, uh, a couple episodes ago, we talked about 80s vampire movies. So we felt it was time to step up to the 90s vampire movies. And tonight we're going to talk about John Carpenter's Vampires and From Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah, so you want to jump right in? We'll start with John Carpenter's Vampires, if that's okay with you ladies. Yeah. Yes. All right. So um, no shock here. This film's directed by John Carpenter. (laughs) Um, It's a 1998 offering. So I would say in his, like, later canon. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to sit here and pretend like I know all about John Carpenter. Like, I'm not the biggest John Carpenter fan outside of Halloween. Really? Yeah. Oh. This one, I don't know. Like, to me, this was, I didn't think this was a bad movie, but I just thought it was a very mediocre, like, just a oh. very generic and unremarkable vampire movie. In my personal opinion, I, I've seen this movie, like, this is my third time watching it in the past, like, two years for random reasons i don't know why but watching it this time i decided to rewatch it because i was like i really need to get into this it's definitely like his trash movie totally right i totally agree with you on that one yeah so i personally think john carpenter has a fucking amazing canon like everything from like escape from big trouble in little china uh the fog what else am i missing the thing Uh, Thing, Prince oh, of yeah. Darkness. That's true. Yeah, like the, the guy's got an amazing. I mean, I have a fucking T-shirt with all his fucking movies on yeah, it for yeah. fuck's sake. But um, this is yeah, this is a giant piece of shit, and I think he <laughs> did it on purpose. <laughs> like I think he was like, I'm gonna make a fucking obnoxious, misogynistic, in-your-face Western spaghetti vampire flick. It's so aggro that I honestly kept asking myself, is this spoof level? Like, is this a spoof of itself? That's me too. I kept finding myself asking if it was shitty on purpose. Yeah. (laughs) And if it is, then maybe it's brilliant. If it's not, then I I, I don't know. I don't think it's brilliant. (laughs) Even if it was that so meta, like, I don't think it's brilliant. Yeah, like, is John Carpenter (laughs) just at the point in his life where he's John Carpenter and he can do whatever he wants and, like, Slap his name and it's going to make money, you know? Like, it's not just called Vampires. It's called John Carpenter's Vampires. So right there, without seeing anything, you've got his fan base coming in for this. I think that's purposeful. (laughs) 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. Because you know suckers like me are going to go watch it no matter what. Oh, like how many of the Stephen King movies say Stephen King's, you know. Dinner. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad marketing ploy, but like, I don't know, maybe he just, he, he it's not like he needed a paycheck. He's John fucking Carpenter. Like. Oh, no, he, he admits that he did this as a labor of love. So he took a, a, a book called Vampires with a dollar sign at the end. <laughs> you see what they did there? And they <laughs> he made it into a, like, a script. And apparently his budget got cut repeatedly and really fucked up at the so I don't know if the, I mean, I don't know. I think I'm in the business of defending John Carpenter here just because I love him so much. I'm not going to pretend this isn't a fucking piece of shit. I do want to say that I finished this movie and um, my my podcast partner, Matt, he of course has it on Blu-ray. He just got it on Blu-ray. So <laughs> there was like a little side um, documentary kind of thing. So I caught a little bit of it and John Carpenter was just basically, he seemed really happy in like the interview. And he was just like, when it comes to vampires, if there's no sex, then what's the point? It's not vampires. And I'm like, okay, this is his, this is a very specific phase for him. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's like his 13 year old self had a creepy wet dream. Yes. (laughs) And I, I even have a note about that. How in this movie, there's no subtlety about like the whole correlation of sex and vampires. No. <laughs> the uh, the master in this movie, I guess like the the main vampire, uh, Valak. Valak. Yeah. Um, well, he kind of looks like Kylo Ren. So in my head, he was just yeah. Adam Driver the whole time. <laughs> that would be awesome. So, okay. So, my first thought and most important one is even with this shit-tastic script and overperformance, fuck, I love James Woods. <laughs> He can do no wrong. He could be misogynistic and a big giant prick and all those things. And I'm still going to be like, oh, you can do no wrong by me, James. My God. Is he just on level a thousand in this movie? Like, we're going to talk about two movies with really aggro performances. But my God, (laughs) James, tone it down. This is definitely the the tie that binds them is really over the top performances, I think. (laughs) And misogyny. Of course. Um, so my other thought is, I think it's time we just get the elephant out of the room and talk about the Baldwins. Oh, (laughs) yes. Okay. Literally, I, I immediately was just like, okay, is this 100% a Baldwin? Because when he was first introduced, it was kind of the side of his face. I'm like, I'm getting Baldwin vibes, even though I have seen this movie multiple times. Every time I see it, I ask myself if this is a Baldwin. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I was taken aback too, because the latest I've seen Daniel Baldwin in is the Purge TV show. And I got to tell you, it it hasn't been kind to Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) Like he kind of looks like my kid took Play-Doh and made a Baldwin. (laughs) Yeah. He's always like the struggle Baldwin. I feel like. (laughs) It's true. Well, I always thought Steven was the fucking shit show. No, that's Fuck up Baldwin. Oh, right, right. There's a big difference. You're right. No, my very first note is, is Daniel Baldwin the cool one? Or is that Steven or Billy Baldwin? Like, so I, so I rank, I listed. Alec. I have a gripe with Alec Baldwin. Oh, I have, I have my problem. And we know anybody that's listened to the show knows how narrow-minded I am. So I have a grudge against Baldwin for hating on Beetlejuice. All right, Ashley, very important question. Yes. <laughs> Fuck, Mary, kill, kill the four Baldwin brothers go. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, oh, oh. Uh. I mean, uh, I, oh, I just don't know, guys, because like there's different eras of specific Baldwins. 
So yeah, yeah. Like, yes. honestly, I could do fuck Mary kill kill with just Alec Baldwin. I think. <laughs> Because there's so many specific ages of Baldwinism, in a way. Um, You're right. This is why we're the the highbrow critic that we have on right now. Like, this is why we bring you in. Oh, oh, thank you so much. That's a high compliment. (laughs) But I think I'm going to marry Alec Baldwin because I'm more familiar with him. Like, I just know him. I guess fuck Billy because he's done some weird movies. I think it's Billy. But I might be mistaking him for another Baldwin because the other three, (laughs) I don't really know definitely mega kill steven and then oh, like yeah. really unfortunately kill D- daniel is it daniel? <laughs> daniel i was like david baldwin uh what's his name i think that's joshua my, that's my ranking i think well you know what no that's good that. because like billy baldwin was the one in that movie sliver yes and i recently saw that oh god it's been a while that movie was a naughty movie that's yeah. a very naughty movie but that proves that he's got skills so i agree with that yeah, one, but he was like greasy Everyone's hot and sweaty. Yes, he's very, he's very greasy and he's bonkers, like just out of this world. So that's why I'm like, okay, I guess he's like, I don't have anything wrong with him per se, but like, yeah, he's a freak. So I guess I'll experience that. <laughs> I think it'd be a good one, one time adventure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I agree with yeah. that. I think that's probably, yeah, the way that I would go. Definitely. Even though I have my gripe with Alec Baldwin. I, yeah, I agree. Most familiar with him. Yeah. So he's the one He's safe. Yeah. He's he's the safe. Plus, one. he'll do funny impersonations. Safe Baldwin. That's true. <laughs> like he can be Trump when I'm angry. That is true. Yeah, and then you won't be angry. That's right. You know, yeah. you guys will fight, and that's going to be his yeah, cute little way of making you not mad. Yeah, anymore. Do, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's some tea and go to bed. There you go. Well, then you gotta go to bed with Billy Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Um, I would sleep with one eye open if I went to bed like to <laughs> with Billy Baldwin. That is fair. I think any Baldwin you go to bed with one eye yeah. open. That's true. Um, all right. So now that we got the important shit out of the way, let's get on to this one. <laughs> right. Um, Jackie, I don't know. Fucking vampires. They kill them. Yeah. I mean, this, this, one, like I synopsis? Said, this one doesn't because it is just a pretty generic vampire movie. You know, you've got a pack of vampire slayers that stumbles upon a nest. They think they've got them all. The master, which is like the oldest, you know, and strongest vampire comes back to exact revenge on the pack of them. And it turns out he's after a cross that's going to give him the ability to walk in the sunlight, you know, basically making him, you know, all powerful and indestructible. Would you say he's walking on sunshine if he gets it? If he gets it, he definitely is walking on sunshine. Whoa. (laughs) He's walking on sunshine. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that's basically it. They got to kill the big bad. And uh, they keep saying, they threw the word Slayer around a lot. Oh so I went God. right to Buffy. Me too. Because you can't use the word Slayer and not go to Buffy. Um, but yeah, so like, that's basically it. it, it there's little interesting, in, tr- in- which one of which one of us is the intricities in, in, in intricacies? <laughs> intricacies? Oh my intricacies. Lord. She's the sober one too. I that's the scary the part. <laughs> About characters uh like james woods apparently like his dad got turned into a vampire and then the dad killed the mom and tried okay. to kill him i'm gonna stop you there like and say any attempt at any pathos or emotional death <laughs> failed fucking miserably i think his death issues came through pretty clear i oh yeah there's like a lot of like uh, i don't know repressed like homosexual eroticism throughout with james like so he's got some serious like 
I don't know, issues with his sexuality and his insecurities. And it's a lot. <laughs> it is. He's got, he's got a lot of issues that he, you're right, Jackie. That's fair. He needs to unpack all of this emotional damage. He really does. Um, also, I, I, I personally could not stand their bromance. <laughs> like when they were like, when Baldwin were like, now we're going to fight. I was like, do it. You won't. You won't. <laughs> because I thought maybe it would make it more interesting for me because it'd be nice to see them beat somebody other than the helpless woman. Uh, that is very true. <laughs> so cringy. So cringy. Yeah, I didn't quite understand that. I do have that note that like, I don't understand why they're being so aggressive with her. It's like she's turning into a vampire. What do you expect? You know, like they yell at her, you know, Danny Baldwin yells at her because he's like, oh, you bit me. And then he punches her. No shit. She's going to bite you. She's turning into a vampire. What do you think is going to happen when you keep a vampire? I mean, even more so like that whole sequence of like him kind of watching after her. They know she's going to turn into a vampire. He won't let her kill herself. So they have to keep her alive. But instead they like kind of drag her into a hotel room. He undresses her, cleans her up, but leaves her naked, then chains her up and then slaps her around constantly. And I'm just like, whoa, this is a lot in like five minutes. Yeah, I mean, other than the part where he tries to feed her the hamburger, but then spits it out himself because it's so gross, there is no kind of had. <laughs> but they're in love. But there is hamburger. Until, it, but then when she bites him, he starts, he's nice to her. Okay. When he starts to turn, that's when the kinship between the two of them happened. So, yeah, you're right. This is also fucking terrible to watch, especially when she's naked on the bed. Like, I just felt so skeevy, and I just felt like he was like the Bill Cosby of vampire slashers, or slayers, or whatever the fuck they call themselves. And I hated everything about it, so, like, I did some research, and John Carpenter, like, so here's his statement. He claims he did it because he was like, Fuck you, hidden misogyny of everything in the 90s. I'm going to do something so unbelievably, disgustingly uncomfortable that I'm going to force the horror community to look at itself and realize what a piece of shit it is. Now, I would love to believe that's true, but it's easy for him to say that now. I don't know that when he made this movie, that's what was true. I mean, I'm curious to like look into more interviews like closer to the time to see if he was kind of like hitting on that and like it could be the reason and he didn't say that so he could trick people into seeing it maybe um but in a way right. because it is so like ridiculously like dripping with machismo and like literally they'll punch someone and it's like the sound effects of whooshing air like they're so strong and so manly and glistening in the desert and it's just like this is ridiculous. So I can almost believe that statement. Yeah, me too. And I think it's funny you you brought up machismo. I wrote the same thing. He said he wanted James Wood's character to be the worst version of John Wayne. <laughs> and I think they kind of hit Like, <laughs> I think he got it. Like, mission accomplished. Like, and I personally hate John Wayne, but I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's definitely so over the top that it must have been intentional. He's always dropping like, hey, Padre. He's calling the father, like the the priest or whatever, Padre, every single chance he gets. Uh, it's just like so, yeah. such a weird character. Oh, I don't even remember. Do we see his eyes ever? Does he take glasses off or does he wear sunglasses? I just picture him with sunglasses on at all times. More I think in the very that. beginning, he had his sunglasses on. And when he okay. Up by yeah. Alec, he had the sunglasses I do, off. to go back to uh, Padre, the younger priest, I do like yes. how they pulled the, um, I guess, the, the dude version of She's All That. Because at the end, 
when the Padre has no more glasses and his shirt's kind of open and his hair is tousled. He yeah. did. He was kind of attractive at that he point. He was. Yeah. yeah. Like the glasses oh. come off and suddenly he's attractive. He got his overall. He got right. his overall. He did. Yes. Yeah. He did get out of his overall. He was introduced. They were like, Father Adam. And I was like, hello, Father Adam. Immediately. <laughs> I saw the beauty under there. I was ready to, for the makeover. <laughs> I was with him the whole time. <laughs> That's awesome. No, not me. I had to see it in, yeah. in real life. It was it was a bad <laughs> but then but then Ashley fell in love for real. Also <laughs> Yes. What always happens. Um it's you know it's funny too, because I feel like the I was digging the theme about the church creating the first vampire. Oh yeah. Like I know trace the Dracula mythology, like that's how it happened, but I like the idea of it being like exorcisty. Yeah, I did think that was an interesting concept. I mean, looking at some of the other vampire movies, I mean, you've got, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula with Gary Oldman, where, you know, after his beloved commits suicide, he's just basically like, fuck it, and puts the sword through the, you know, yeah, puts the sword through the cross and then drinks the blood that comes out and then becomes a vampire. Um, That amazing classic Dracula 2000, where... Where they have him, but no, it does have the religious tie where they make him Judas. Shut up, it's an amazing movie. Amazing, she says. <laughs> I will defend that movie. You're saying the word amazing to people who are critiquing the AFI's most like most relevant movies of all time. Oh, For Dracula, I, I'm literally doing all of that while I'm stoned as possible, like as stoned as possible. It there is no level of. I don't even know what I will watch to the, I don't even know if I've seen that all the way through. So I'm down to watch it. If you guys want to <laughs> Dracula 2000. Don't do it. Do You're it. Regret it. No, you won't regret it. It's lovely. It's a lovely movie. And then you can listen to our episode where they basically trash me almost the whole time because I love that movie. And Jackie, I will I trash it. you no matter what we do. <laughs> that is very true. Um, <laughs> so I'm digging that theme. I don't know. I mean, I kind of like it. I also, that. no, I was just going to say, I'm like, it's just, it's such a theme Religion seems to be more often than not tied in with it. And, you know, and and, and in From Dusk Till Dawn, religion is also tied into it. Um, You know, with with the crosses and everything like that. And like, you know, is it just because with something that evil, you need the opposite end of the spectrum of something that good to defeat it? Like, is it always tied to religion? Because this ultimate evil must be defeated by, you know, God and the quote-unquote ultimate the ultimate good yeah i don't know i think so it's like i think it's like a really classic like archetype and just like story in general like when you have something like so weighted down on one end of the scale you do have to balance it out um i'm trying to think of like any vampire movies that like don't really touch on religion in any way and it's kind of hard Hmm. yeah yeah every one of them has so many of them have that trope of like you know, the, the purity of the church will, will destroy them. But I, the one twist I did like on this is this idea that the church is actually the reason for the evil. And then the fucking cardinal winds up being corrupt. And I especially like that because I think it's really um, profound to me as someone who really fucking hates on organized religion to think that it's, it's the church that is the evil. Like, it's not the vampire's fault. It's the fucking church's fault. Yeah, it's almost like the thing, like, they they put harp on so much, like, the evil of this group of people, but, like, they full-on well know that they are the cause of that evil, and then they will do everything in their power to gain the evil's power to manipulate and control it. 
because he basically wants yeah. to take advantage. He's like, yeah, I'll give you this power, but like I get all of the benefits too. So I get to live forever or all this shit. And it's like, okay, well, what do you stand for? <laughs> nothing. Right. Nothing yeah. except bad things like pedophilia. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like it fucking, it, it, I liked that. I liked, and I, and I gotta be honest, not to jump ahead, but I even love even more what From Dust Till Dawn does with the religion stuff. Cause I love Bobby Pytel's character's crisis of faith. It's one of my favorite things about the movie, but I won't, I won't get into that yet. Um, let's see here. Blah, blah, blah homosexuality, blah, 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 misogyny. <laughs> what else do you guys want to talk about? Um, so just in line with the religion a little bit too, we said like slayers, but they also harp on the fact that James Wood is like a crusader. Like their group is crusaders. And like, that's super hella religious. Yeah. I found that choice, that word choice interesting. And I liked that they needed the crusaders blood. Yeah. I kind of like almost able to flush that out a little bit. Cause I was interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, just cause as somebody who's a fan of the Crusades and teaches a lot of like, you know, Canterbury tale level stuff, I find Crusaders quite fascinating and also giantly hypocritical. You know? <laughs> I, I think it's super funny though, too, like the image of the Crusades, like it's so organized and put together. And now you have like this 1990, whatever, and it's like blue jeans and leather jackets, sunglasses, grimy in the desert. It's just like a complete contrast to like what that image is. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting when you think about it. Um, Cause kind of like deserty and grimy is probably how I'd imagine the actual crusades were too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and also I have to admit the scene where they kill all the slayers made me a little sad. Oh my God. I, was very appreciative of the special effects in this movie. Because it was, like, right out the gate. Like, this movie started, and they wasted no time tearing people in two, ripping heads off, like, you know, fish through the chest kind of thing. I was extremely happy with the level of special effects, the gore. Like, there are a couple check marks in the pro column for me with this movie. And and the special effects and, and the gore right out the gate is definitely one of them for me. The second a man is split in half and you get the slowed down slump and like the actual practical separation of the body. I was like, here's Carpenter. Like, here he is. Here's our dude. Totally. Very Agreed. much so. And I and I liked it. I, it. I think it had a very Carpenter aesthetic to it. And I also think it hearkened back to like, oh, yeah. Assault on Precinct 13, that grimy kind of cowboy bullshit misogyny Mm -hmm. made me almost nostalgic for a good 70s carpenter film yeah it's definitely in his blood like the same kind of like tropes over and over again and like this is almost an entire male cast again and he's done that a couple times um yeah he's done Mm -hmm. like the western style kind of i don't know gang of misfits thing and then vampires like let's just go all out (laughs) why not yeah i was gonna say the only women in this movie are either whores or demons i mean amen right no just kidding (laughs) (laughs) Um, i like to think i fit both those categories Um, (laughs) i think you're right (laughs) if you can't if you don't like me at my whore you can't you can't have me as my demon or whatever um I know. I think you're right. And I think that any argument that Carpenter himself is, is unfair towards women is ridiculous when you look at his canon. In fact, I think he's more unfair to males pound for pound. And I can harken back to the thing here. I can harken back to any of his films. Like he either leaves women out or as, like kind of hints at the fact that they're the fucking voice of reason. And so I, I kind of got defensive of him when I was reading the literature and anybody 
who tried to make the argument that he was like a misogynistic director got shot down so fast. So I think that everything in here is intentional. And yeah, they're either hookers or, or demons. And that's not a great way to portray them, I guess, but it's supposed to be almost satirical, I think. Yeah, because then it gives you, like, I think it's giving the audience a chance to, like, really laugh at how ridiculous men are in the extreme states of every aspect of, like, their manly behavior. It's like, I'm going to go kill something, so I have to be ridiculous. I'm going to shoot down religion and punch everybody in the face. Like, every single moment is an aggressive interaction. So it's like, we get to laugh at that. So I do feel like it's kind of intentional. And like the abuse towards women is so in your face that it's like, oh yeah, he like kind of knows what he's doing. I don't, I don't feel like it was necessarily out of a, a space of hate, but I don't know. Nor do I think it was accidental, nor do I think it was just so no, no better. Um, no, I would totally agree with you. And I also think that um, he purposely like had her get the upper hand at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like at the end of the day, she's like, fuck you, now you're a vampire too. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm gonna go on the record of I I liked the ending. I did. I liked when Daniel Baldwin was like, Yeah, I'm a vampire, I'm gonna turn, <laughs> but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go, you're not gonna kill me now, I'm gonna go. Hug and they out, hug it bitch. out. They hug it out. And I love when he was like, When did you get bit? He's like, two days ago. He's like, Okay, cool. You get a two day head start. And then he was he like, would. He, he goes, would for that. He goes, I will find you and I'll kill you. And then they hug. Yeah, that's adorable. Like, oh. Jackie, when we, when we have our final farewell, I'm going to say the same thing to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. But we're going to hug first. So we're going to pitch. We are going to hug it out. Um, no, I find that ludicrous. <laughs> and here's why. First of all, he's your bro. Why you got to go kill Just leave do anything he's supposed to go live with the stupid vampire girlfriend they're not gonna cause any trouble no they're just gonna kill everybody how do you know that because they're vampires i genuinely don't think that james wood is going to follow him two days i think he's going to live with the, the mindset of like if our paths cross again i will have to make a decision but like i don't know i think he's just like saving face kind of because the the father is just, or the priest is just like, oh, we got to kill him now. And he's like, no, like he stood up for us and all this stuff. And he's saying like, he'll give him two days, but like, that's going to like destroy him when he has to kill him. Agreed. And he, and he's a character who like refuses to have any kind of weakness in air quotes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think, I don't think he's going to like aggressively pursue him. I think if they cross paths again, it's going to have to like, that's a sequel idea. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's just him like being really upset that he's losing that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And I think, but at the end on the plus side, he makes an inappropriate joke about the, the priest's wood and the priest reciprocates yep. a hilarious list of wood. I love that part too. You would. <laughs> I do. I think I've never, I guess I've never seen this before. So like, I love the whole thing when he's like, did you get wood? Got mahogany? You got teak. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to like, ask one of my guy friends about their mahogany now. smells <laughs> like um, No, okay, but that's like a creepy joke to make to a priest. Like you're taunting him. Well, he already, he already made that joke at him like immediately. So I think it's just like another callback. And it's like, I'm fine with it. Because initially when he says that, I'm like, what is your deal with asking priests yeah. about their dicks? Yes. It is so 
ridiculous. He asked the old priest he was friends with about his dick. And then he asked the new one immediately. And so the priest just kind of giving him shit too. I'm like, thank God, because this dude will never shut up about your dick. Not for nothing, but you know, he's making an inappropriate joke to this priest. This is also the same priest that he has beat the shit out of and cut. So I guess an inappropriate joke really isn't that bad when you think about the kind of shit that James Woods has done to this priest already. Yeah. So he's made a career out of Stockholming people. Yes. Is what we're saying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He did. Yes. <laughs> That's how he makes friends. That's wonderful. That's how my relationships too. Why Jackie's here. That's, yeah. It really is. Um. Okay. What else you got for this? This is all I've got for vampires. Ashley, got anything else? I think I just have. This is kind of like. I don't know. This is like a note on both of the movies. <laughs> Something I noticed immediately, like when I was watching, because I was really diving in this time before when I've seen vampires, I'm like, oh, it's on. But now I was like really trying to pay attention. And I just really appreciate it is kind of comedic in certain situations. The exaggerated, like whooshing sounds of punches, the excessive blood and explosion. I don't know. It just feels very 90s. Yes. Like, so extreme in the effects and the sound quality of it. It's so 90s. Yeah, and in, like, a nostalgic kind of way. Like, it makes me miss the 90s. Oh, yeah, and everything was kind of that, like, beige-orange color. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, I don't disagree. And I think another common thread is the shitty, uneven dialogue. Oh, I could... Oh, okay. Yeah, I have things to talk about. This... I watched From Dust Till Dawn for the first time for this. What? what? So I had never seen it before, which I withhold that information from people because I feel like they would okay, judge that's, me. I, I'm, I'm a little judged. Yeah, I'm a little judgy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's surprising. Totally. Assume that some, like, you've seen Tarantino's whole canon. Oh, yeah. No, I love Tarantino and everything. That's just the one I missed. And I, I really do want to have like a Tarantino marathon just like personally to go through everything again. Um, but this one I was going to watch anyway. So when you guys said this for the podcast, I was like super excited. I think that there's like immediately, like there's so much dialogue, like constant bam, bam, bam. I was like, yep, Tarantino definitely fucking wrote this. Um, but then I immediately fought. Well, I watched that a day before. And when I watched Vampires after seeing that, I was like, this movie has no dialogue. Vampires has no dialogue except for dick jokes. <laughs> That's very true. And any dialogue it has is just so <laughs> just cringy and forced. Yeah, and like exposition or exposition yeah. overload, I guess. So yeah, so let's just dive right in then um, to 1996's From Dusk Till Dawn, a uh, a Quentin Tarantino joint. Although he did not direct it, this was directed by Robert Rodriguez, and it was only co-written by Quentin Tarantino, who was still trying to make a name for himself at this point. Ironically, it was originally pitched as a sequel to Demon Knight. It was supposed to be a Tales from the Crypt movie. Oh, so good. <laughs> and they did like, like it. So they shut him down and they went with Bordello of Blood instead. Which is pretty ridiculous because as I'm watching From Dusk Till Dawn, there were so many similarities, I thought, to Bordello of Blood that I even looked it up to see if like one bit off the other, but they both came out in 96. Yeah. So this I was guess, supposed to be Bordello of Blood. Yeah, there's just there was definitely a lot of similarities. Obviously, From yeah. Dusk Till Dawn does it all better. So agree. Yeah. Yeah. And this, of course, is a Miramax slash Weinstein debacle. So we have to get rid of the elephant in the room, I think, which is that all of these motherfuckers 
are guilty and kind of involved in all this sex scandal shit because of Weinstein. So it's like, I, I gotta be honest, and we can even cut this out if you guys want to, but I am really battling with how to land on all this because I don't want to throw out entire canons of work because of their affiliations with bad people or they're being had made by, I don't know what to do. Like, I mean, here, I have like a little bit of a comment towards this just because like my podcast exclusively deals with a hundred of the greatest films of all time. Some of them had blackface in it, you know, and like, I'm going to have to watch those movies and that really upsets me, but I'm going, I am watching it in like an academic uh, standpoint, I guess. So that's kind of the things like you don't have to like condone any affiliations with the movies you're watching but there's still movies that exist so it is so troubling and you think about it nonstop when you're like looking at a movie and you're like that's disgusting like how can this like possibly even right like be here but you just have to address it you know you, it's it just yeah. sucks but like I'm just seeing it as like you got to get through it <laughs> yeah no that's you're not wrong and I think like something like birth of a nation it's like I, I really wish I never had to sit through it but you know I did so you know and I'm, I'm gonna sure have we- to watch it stoned <laughs> <laughs> it sounds terrible <laughs> I know <laughs> so wigged out by it like I can barely handle it sober um so ugh, I don't know all right so just on the record fuck Harvey Weinstein fuck all these yeah. motherfuckers and honestly Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez to me are not innocent um so Rose McGowan recently uh uh, wrote a memoir and in it she said that Robert Rodriguez wanted to be the big hero because when they were dating he put her in uh, Planet Terror even though she had been assaulted by Weinstein and he had blacklisted her for trying to come out about it so he was like look at me I'm such a hero but really if he were being a fucking hero he would have done something to stop Weinstein Yeah. and the same thing with Tarantino I don't believe for a second that these guys didn't know and weren't complacent so it's the same argument I have when I talk about like you Penn football and fucking Ohio State and anything else. Like if you know what's going on and you don't do anything about it, you're a fucking scumbag too. So I just have to go on the record of saying that just to kind of like assuage my guilt over this bullshit. But yes, then we can go on and enjoy the movie. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, yes, like that is scummy behavior. It's, it's un, ugh, like it's just terrible. I am a person who like, yes, of course, I still, I still love Tarantino's work. I love the film. I love the product. But like, if you're a skeezy dude, like that fucking sucks. And like, I really hope more doesn't come out about situations, like how much they knew. It's just unfortunate, especially the time we're in. I mean, it's good in a way so that like people are more aware of it, but uh, yeah, it sucks. I still like Tarantino's work, but not the guy personably as much right I feel like if I met Tarantino I'd find him just reprehensible but as a director I really like his canon and writer even though his dialogue even (laughs) Um, like kind of a scummy person who has a lot of talent unfortunately (laughs) I can live with that I can and I also think uh like you know fool's folly to throw away entire canons of work over all of this like I just I don't think that's a danger either Jackie, I know you have so many strong opinions about this. <laughs> um, all right, so let's dive into the movie itself. All right, podcasters, let's get podcasting. All right, let's get podcasting. So uh, in From Dusk Till Dawn, we've got brothers Seth and Richie. I'd F Seth so hard. <laughs> just, like, all day. And I don't even like George Clooney. Just Seth Gecko. 
Really? <laughs> no, he doesn't know. He does not do it for me. Okay. Is it the neck tattoo? Oh, I like it. No. Dirty. No. I would ask Harvey over Seth. No, you would. Oh, Harvey? Absolutely. No, I would do Harvey over Seth. <laughs> yeah. Either Harvey or I would just, you know what, I'll take one for the team and I'll fuck Juliette Lewis. Because, although, I don't know, how old is she in this movie? Am I just, did I just okay. become a pedophile? No, but I still <laughs> will go to my grave saying one of my favorite games to play is Julia, Julia Lewis. Special needs or a great actress? I'll never know. <laughs> That's, um, like I said, my favorite game. Yeah, I know. Julie Louie, special needs or a great actress? <laughs> I, I don't know. I will stand by Juliette Lewis. I like Juliette Lewis. But, uh, so anyway, so in this movie, Seth and Richie, uh, they have pulled off a bank robbery slash murder spree slash hostage situation and they need to get themselves to Mexico. They need to find sanctuary. They're waiting for their uh, waiting to rendezvous with their buddy in Mexico so they can get off scot free. Unfortunately for Harvey Keitel and his two kids in the RV, everybody meets up and uh, they become the hostages. They do get to Mexico, and the rendezvous point is a lovely little family establishment called the Titty Twister. Yeah, kind of like Chuck E. Cheese, only with boobies. Yeah, yeah. And it's- carnitas. And carnitas. <laughs> and I saw that on the sign, too, and I was like, dope, carnitas. <laughs> Thank you. That was like That's the thing. three women watching a movie with boobs. That's what that is. All three <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the rendezvous point is the titty twister, and that is where hilarity ensues because it turns out that everybody that works there is a vampire. I want to hire that band for our next function. By the way, <laughs> they were so good. They are so good. I love them so much. Um, yeah, and and it's just a fucking fun romp from there. Really. It really is. It really is. Um, Richie and Seth, these two brothers. Obviously, Seth is. The, uh, the man in charge, and Richie is kind of along for the ride. Richie, who obviously has some... Um, Sociopathic, psychopathic he, tendencies. He's, he's got some uh, mental uh, mental Ooh. illness issues. We were kind of toying with the idea of, you know, is he bipolar? You know, definitely paranoid. A cocktail of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was trying to pinpoint him to maybe be schizophrenic because of the delusions and the auditory hallucinations. Yes, but I just kind of feel like you can just open up like the DSM five, point your finger, and yeah, this guy's got it. Like this guy's kind of got a little of everything. I personally relate to Harvey Keitel's character in this movie, like to a disturbing level. I relate to him, uh, and also the John Saxon as a cop cameo just filled my heart with such joy. Because anytime I watch a movie where John Saxon plays a cop, I feel better. About it life. just makes me. It just. This makes me feel so much better. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, it gives my life meaning again. Um, so I have to say that Quentin Tarantino, I'm going to throw this down. Quentin Tarantino is a fucking terrible actor. Oh, I liked his performance. Oh, I knew you guys were going to say that. You did too, I did Jackie. too. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think-, I think it's just because I don't see him act as much. So it's, it's hard because it's like, yeah, I don't see him that much. And I haven't seen him act in anything in a long time. I haven't watched any of the other things in a while. And like seeing him, I was just like, you're fucking crazy. So yeah, good for you. <laughs> oh, maybe. So I think it's, I always go back to his little cameo in Pulp Fiction. It aggravates the crap out of me. I just think, you know, in a film. Oh, I like him in that too. Do you really? That's funny. I just feel like, you know, in a film where he's so good, he stands out as not as talented. But yeah, maybe it's just a personal thing. Yeah, yeah. 
Hey, listen, he sure he sure hits creeper on the head though. He does a good oh, job. Oh yeah, no, he plays it easy, so good. Oh god, when he kills the bank teller. Oh my god, it's so depressing. Like immediately, I think that scene is also very effective because it you you don't see it, which I will say, like it's a really good filmmaking choice, like to show how despicable this character is by literally, you know, he raped and murdered a woman, like right there yeah. and like instead of showing any of that it starts with a very casual scene of them watching tv and then his brother being like what the fuck happened and intercutting with like all the blood and i was just like oh man yeah. that's rough but like i think really smart in a way and this is before anything about vampires is like even close to coming up <laughs> so it's almost like weird like showing how much like blood plays into it before we even get to like the blood bath at the end yeah i think that scene is so well done it's so because the way it builds up to the them showing it just for a split second in full just speaks to me to me about robert rodriguez's yeah. talent too like the, the guy knows how to fucking make a good scene attention and gore absolutely um and this movie also has so much machismo it's ridiculous <laughs> How many people do you think George Clooney punched? Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know, but he can punch me. I mean, wait, no. <laughs> he punched as many people as the amount of times that Cheech Marin said the word pussy. You got, no, you're saying it wrong. He's how, not French. How does he say Pussy. Pussy. No, pussy. I don't know. I don't particularly like the P yeah, word. Pussy. So he definitely said that word more times than I, I ever have in my like whole the, life. The, the, the black I can't help it. I like the C word. word. I'm more comfortable with the C Ooh, word. I don't know. Both of them make me cringe just to yeah. C word doesn't make me cringe. Oh. The only reason I'm saying C word. C word for days. Yeah? Yeah, I drop it casually in daily life and it's not good, but. <laughs> I will see you next Tuesday. That's how I drop it casually. And then if I'm really worked up, I'll drop it very emphatically. Like it's my mic drop. If I call somebody that, you know shit's going down. I almost say, to, say it as a term of endearment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a friend who like, like on the third day like I met her like I already was calling her like a slut monkey and stuff <laughs> like that so like to call to call her like the random c word is just like casual like Can we get through one episode where you don't talk about Jenny because it really no it's not, Jenny. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not Jenny <laughs> I'm a little sensitive about all your other friends you know this I know no okay. it's not Jenny that I've talked to you about I love the line when Harvey Keitel says are you so much of a loser that you can't tell when you've won um it's lines like that that like literally give me filmmaker chubby for Quentin Tarantino yeah. Like, I don't think he can always pull off lines that good, but shit, man, when his dialogue is on, it's on. Yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> I would say it's delicious. Right? Like, some of his, his, some of it is so good, it makes me, like, want to, like, flip a table. Um, because <laughs> I feel like I up with dialogue that good and the same thing holds true in Pulp Fiction I think that while like I know a lot of filmmakers will be like it's so artificial it's so forced it's so brilliant though so like you don't care because it's just so good it's like he can effortlessly like lean into it where it passes the stage of where it's too much and it gets good again you know like it becomes its own thing. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like when he says that too, I love there's like a little distinction of it because he says it twice and like Harvey Keitel's character character who's like so broken is just like are you such a fucking loser that you don't know you won and then he says are yeah. you such a loser like he changes it and i'm just like oh i subtle things like that i'm like good job dude good job yeah me too as like a writer i just wind up like falling in love with just small scenes in this film 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, even, like, we were talking about the part where, like, Kate and she's like, hi, I'm Sex Machine. She's like, hey, Kate. And they, like, shake hands so casually. Like, moments like that are just so brilliantly done in this film. I also love, there's like, there's so many great side characters and cameos in this movie. It's so, I mean, Cheech Marin's in it, what, three times? <laughs> like, <laughs> like three times, but there's um the characters of, yeah, Sex Machine and Frost. Yes. Frost was like a character actor in the 70s and he's so hulking and amazing. But when he's giving his big speech at the end and like no focus is on it at all, I'm like, this is a great random thing that I love because usually it's like a built up speech and you're only focusing on that and then something jumps out at you but the entire time he's talking we're looking at other characters doing stuff and so I'm like it's kind of like you're ignoring the dialogue you spent so much time writing (laughs) which is very purposeful yeah no you're right and that's a really good point and I think you see that dynamic in like Desperado and some of uh, Rodriguez and Tarantino's other collaborations like it's like they're yeah. vying for your attention and i love it what i like about that in particular so that good. scene too is you know the speech that the guy is giving is super serious i mean he's so reliving serious. the you know horrific nom, nom. nightmare whatever and the whole entire time fucking tom savini is turning into a vampire and i'm pissing myself <laughs> because tom like tom savini is brilliant in this movie his dick gun He's amazing in this oh. movie. But yeah, the scene where he's starting to feel the teeth and his fingers or his hands are changing and he's like hiding them and putting, I was cracking up. Like you're not even yes. paying attention to this dramatic scene going on because you're just cracking up over Tom Savini. So funny. Like I didn't even catch earlier on in the <laughs> in like that sequence, like when they get to the tw- titty twister, I didn't even catch that his name was Sex Machine until like well into it. And then I'm like, the fact that your dick gun, your dick gun almost made me scream with delight. It was so funny. And then his name's Sex Machine, and he every single reaction facially he does, his body language, it is so funny. And I'm like, Savini, you are killing it in this. He's a star. I know he's a national treasure, and it makes me mad that more people don't see that. <laughs> oh, so good. Um, yeah, I think this movie does a great job, like so much of their other work, of really blending genres in a very seamless way. I think that it's it's a Western, it's a comedy, it's a family drama, it's a fucking like, yeah. noir film, and then it's a fucking vampire crazy romp. And, and it always floors me to watch this movie and just think of how much I adore all that they pack into such a small amount of time. I also love that because once, yeah, they're so long before we even mention vampire. It, it's about like an hour goes by mm-hmm. almost before we even see yeah. any vampires. Take- and I also love... Selma Hayek, come on. She is a babe. She's such a babe. There is no hate on that fucking performance. I remember like 14-year-old me being like, yeah, I think that's the epitome of sexuality. That's <laughs> like, if I could be half of that, I'll be killing it. <laughs> I just remember like being like, oh, that's what female sexuality looks like. Huh? If, if I can get a boy to drink tequila, tequila. down my leg... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then I've made it in this world. Um, I will never ever be one one hundredth as sexy as she is in this scene, and I've yeah. accepted. That. No, if if I try to do the foot thing, like <laughs> I would look, tr- I would look trashy. <laughs> like it, it doesn't make any sense how she can get away with shoving her toes into Quentin Tarantino's mouth and it being like the hottest scene ever. I would like stick Twinkies up my toes and <laughs> see if I can make. <laughs> 
I would just kick Chad in the face. I'd be like trying to come out all set. I'm going to like move my hips. I'm going to take the bottle out. I'm going to like, you know, pop the cork off with my teeth kind of thing. I'm going to pour the tequila down my leg and bam, I'm going to kick him right in the fucking face. No. I'm going to come out with peanut butter cups on each of my nipples. <laughs> and then I'm going to eat them myself. Yeah. And then yeah, my husband's going to be like, <laughs> Um, so that's so yeah mad props to her although i i and i love that this nudie bar these these female vampires are taking so much from male people like i think it's so interesting the 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 power dynamic there where like all these men go in there seemingly to objectify these women and they're literally their fucking meal oh yeah even though like even before the vampire turn of like where you know they're all vampire like badass women like they still are powerless like they are just like gazing after these women like in a trance and it's just like is it because they're vampires or is it because they're fucking hot and they are like so powerful (laughs) like girl live your life I know, right? Like if only it were true that in a dive Mexican strip bar the women were that hot Oh, yes (laughs) Like, I gotta tell you, I, I, I can't speak from too much personal experience, but from what I've always learned, those types of bars, the women are not that hot. <laughs> like, that should have been their first tip off that something was really wrong. They're like, oh my God, these are the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my entire life. Beyond one of those poles, I believe it. <laughs> Salma Hayek, like, walks on the main stage like she's a literal god that has been gifted to us. Yeah. Yeah, and the way he hypes her up and the fucking awesome song in the back. It's all so good. Yeah. It's funny because I almost feel like, sometimes I feel guilty about how much I do enjoy these movies. Like, I will gush over Kill Bill all day. Oh, I love Kill Bill. And then I'm like, eh. So there is something I kind of want to say that I hope you guys will just indulge me in. And that is that it is, as a Latino, constantly looking for representation in film. Um. Mm-hmm. I like that Rodriguez constantly hires other Latino actors and actresses. I like oh, yeah. that he plays with our stereotypes a little bit. Like, I don't necessarily take offense to, like, pussy lovers because I just <laughs> fucking... Each Marin could do no wrong by me. But um, I don't know. Like, I, I toy with this notion of how much it would feel better to have this film be from a Latino gaze rather than two white guys infiltrating the border. And kind of, it almost so speaks to like the dirtiness and the yuckiness and the other that is Mexico that it, and and he's guilty of this in all his films. He makes Mexico out to be just as terrible as it really is. But it, it like, I, I play with it in my head a lot because I just wish better like for Latinos, like Guillermo del Toro, for example, when he did Pan's Labyrinth. That was a classy-ass look at um, fucking... Whereas, like, I think Robert Rodriguez is so obsessed with the westernness of it. I don't know. I don't don't know how to play that out in my own head. I'm not offended. I don't love it. I would say also, like, if it's it's not even, like, from the perspective of, like, the two, like, brothers being Latino, um, because, like, in a way, it's kind of their story, but it's kind of the families as well. I would say, like, a Latino family, too. Yeah. Because, like, then we're more sympathetic with the family rather than the brothers. Like, Quentin Tarantino dies and we don't care. <laughs> like, do you care that Quentin Tarantino... Like, I don't think nobody cares that he dies. He won. Um, he just come back. 
Yeah, yeah, he's like the really bad one. But also, if George Clooney's character died, I wouldn't care either. Hey, um, but yeah, like it. <laughs> sorry to come for your man. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I would like to see a little bit more of if you're going to have a film that does definitely like support and strive for the representation of Latino characters, then why not put them in your core? Right. Yeah, no, I do agree. Okay, but I also, I uh, ironically, it doesn't take away from my love for the movie at all. So, oh yeah, no, it's still a great movie, but like we we should try for better. Right, we can do a little better. Right, and I, <laughs> I also find Harvey Keitel's Crisis of Faith to be completely and utterly fascinating. Oh yeah, Harvey Keitel. In my brain, like every time I see him, he's like kind of always like in on something bigger. His roles are like kind of bad guys or a cop or. I don't know. So seeing him as just like a normal human being who's like really struggling from like the death of his wife. It's it's nice to see him have like so much humanity. Yeah, yeah. And and it's heartbreaking to watch the family disintegrate. Like, you know, it, it's funny because I always feel like I have my life experiences as a film critic before children and after children. And I'm like, oh man, fuck the scene where he's like, I'll go. They're not going. Like those moments where he's really trying to protect those kids fucking are like a to me, you know? Yeah. But I, I love it. I love his mm-hmm. performance and I love this idea of like, you can still have a crisis of faith, but still have the spirituality in you. I also love that he's the father who's not going to like try and get them out of the situation. He Like, cause a lot of times I feel like the father figure is always like, we're going to like secretly go against the wishes of whatever. And he's like, let's just chill out and get through it yeah. and it's so Very unfortunate cool. because they would have made it through it if vampires didn't come into play because i totally believe seth to his word you know like yeah I, same thing yeah like he would have let them go and it, yeah and and i gotta admit now i don't know if you guys feel the same way but at the end where he chooses where he's like i'm an asshole but what does he say i'm, I'm a sc- sc- no so when at the end of it you know the only two surviving people are seth and kate and he basically gives her a bunch of money and he's like, all right, kid, get out of here. And she's like, well, do you want some company? And he says, I'm a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. So it's like, he's like, no, you can't come with me. Like, go home. And I think that's shitty because at the end, I feel like he owes it to her to not leave her alone. I don't know, though, because he says the like the phrase, like, do you know where I'm going? You know, like where he's going, it's just... Yeah. It's going to get worse in a way where it's, it might not be vampires, but it's like almost worse because you're seeing the the worst of humanity. Like his world is just corrupt and sad. And it's like, this girl just went through, she lost her entire family with the most extreme situation ever. I think he's like, I can't, I'd rather have your negative experience be fantastical than it show you like the real dark side of humanity well i like that a lot that's like way too that's way too serious for what this might actually be but like my brain just decided to say it (laughs) you had me sold dude i like it Uh, oh thank you i had said that after everything kate went through with the death of her family seeing all this death and destruction and just you know the vampires and Seth and having to deal with Richie and everything that she's been through in this movie this has damaged her psychologically and this movie is actually the prequel to Natural Born Killers <laughs> <laughs> and that's why she ends up being that way in that movie because of everything that's happened here he gives her a bunch of money. He sends her back to the yeah. USA. She and then we become natural born killers. killers. Yes. That's pretty funny. And then she becomes a serial killer. Yes. I mean, 
it would make sense because like she saw some fucked up shit. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Um, yeah, no. Um, so I think there have been accusations against this film and against Tarantino in general for also being misogynist. And I got to tell you, I don't agree. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm going to kind of throw that out to you guys. And what, you know, what do you think? I, I think that this movie, unlike vampires where you could really say that, and it is vampires is straight up about like misogyny. Like that's like the whole thing. And it's so in your face that it, it flips it and it's like, oh, it might not be because it is so much about that. Whereas this movie, it straight up has a character that is a known rapist and was in prison for rape and uh, abuse. And he literally kills a woman and rapes a woman. But it's done in a way so delicately when it comes to the abuse of women that it's, it's quite sensitive to it. So I think it's purposeful. You know, I agree. And and he's cast as the villain. I think the rest of the men in the movie for all of their kind of quirks and, and ridiculous caricatures are all very respectful of, of all the females. Like when Sex Machine meets Kate, when the big the big guy, like, yes. they're all so polite and appropriate. And like, and, and even Seth is very like, do you like the way he looks at your, like, I'll protect your daughter. Like, so it's like, it, it's very much to me, yeah, that the bad guy is the asshole and the rest of them are good men, as far as you can say they are, considering yeah. the circumstances. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, because it's definitely, Richie is definitely the only one. Yeah, because yeah. Seth, Seth's a nice you know, guy. Seth's whole thing is, you know, well, like he says it at the end, you know, I mean, he's a criminal, he's a bad guy, but even in the beginning. Seth was like, dude, we're robbing banks and now you're killing people? Like, that's not what this is. Right. This is low profile. We're supposed to rob a bank and go to Mexico. And he knows the, 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 that the brother... I like the family themes here because it's like, you know your brother's yeah. a fucking liar. You know he's a psycho. But fuck, he's your brother. What are you going to do? Yeah. Like, you have to not necessarily enable him, but you have to protect, protect him. him. You have to basically, you know, lie to him to you know, keep him steady, kind of walking on eggshells yeah. kind of thing. Like the whole thing in the beginning when he was like the, the store clerk mouth, right. you know, he definitely us. did it. Right. Yeah. But when you're, you know, when you're paranoid, when you've got some issues, you're going to, you know, have a hallucination or you're going to think, or you're going to hear or yeah. see or whatever. So yeah, like the, the, his element of protection of his brother, I did. I liked that element. You know? Made me want to F him even more. I think oh, they man. also no. do a really good job of like immediately giving us that relationship because I, I forgot completely about the beginning. I love John Hawks in such a specific way. <laughs> and he's like the, the tell or the cashier at this gas station or whatever. And there is such, it's such a Tarantino kind of style of like the mundane scene of just nonsensical chatter. Yes. And then the craziest shit happens. So immediately the brothers are fighting, screaming, holding people hostage. Like their dynamic is immediate. And I think that's why I like Tarantino's performance is because right out of the gate, he is like, I'm crazy. And like, he's saying shit. And I'm like, this is the squirmiest guy like you've met time and time again, where he just like is full of lies to cover his own shit. Yeah, totally. But then yeah, seeing George Clooney's character or Seth like, basically deal with him and you know he cares for him but it's almost like it, that care where he's like someday i'm gonna have to put this motherfucker away but i love him so much it, it feels totally. like that and it, it's sad but they're the bad guys still so i don't know it's a lot of like 
I don't know, different emotions for just two characters within the first 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> That's very true. You're right. And they do, I think they do, as always, he does an astounding job at making you fall in love with really bad people. Yes. Like I, and I do that time and time again in the Tarantino film. I mean, you, I love every character in Kill Bill. I love most of the characters in, in Pulp Fiction. Like, oh my God, Michael Madsen in Reservoir Dogs. Oh my Mr. God, Blonde, so who is like the fucking psycho of the group. Yeah. Madly in love. <laughs> I may or may not have a poster at an action figure because I just love that one so much. Right? He does a great job at it. Yeah, these dudes like make movies with really good villains and people you want to watch it's like there's nothing worse than like a lot of big blockbuster movies the bad guy is either boring or you hate him and you don't want to see him anymore these movies you're like i could watch an entire movie of just what the bad guy is doing and i don't care like i love it so much yeah and it's part i think it's part of the brilliance of uh, tarantino's work anything else no um, I don't have any, I don't have any more notes, just that it's been a very long time since I've seen this movie. And this just kind of reminded me how much I love this movie. Like I said, this is the first time I got to watch it. And I was going to like, literally, I'm going to have a Tarantino marathon pretty soon of just going through his entire collection. Cause I think there's a couple I have missed and this was one of them. And like I said, like, I don't tell people I haven't seen this movie cause I know what it is, but I just haven't seen it. And watching it was such a damn delight. I loved every second of it. Um, and I also loved, it's it's Tarantino and like Rodriguez. I know they do this thing, like some of the little slam zooms and like the whooshing of when the vampires jump and they, it's almost like a magical sound. And I grew up watching a lot of charms. So like little magic sounds really make me laugh and I love it so much. So like just the inclusion of those tiny things and also the character designs of the vampires, every single vampire looks different, which I appreciate because it's not just some like effect they put on everyone. Yes, I love that. Yeah, I, I like I how bat-like some of them look and like. Then snake and then snake-like. Yes, and bats and, and yeah. And all the cheesy like, I will forever love the one she's like, I'm going to make you my dog. And he's like, I've already been married once. Like, that shit cracks me up every time. That can't be shit. Like, he gets me with those every time. <laughs> and then, dude, when Savini, he's like a vampire, then his head gets chopped off. And then he turns into some weird vampire dog himself. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I love that Savini probably did all those effects and made him, and delighted himself with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I I can't say how much I love this movie enough. I think it's it's just a fucking fun little romp, yeah. And I love that um, the holy water works. Like I love that. Whole oh my thing. god, when they're filling condoms full of holy water so and the super soaking full of holy water, yes. I love it. Yeah, dude, the brother's death is hard to watch too. Yeah, that one. That one sucked. Only because you feel bad for Kate. Like, it's, like, weird. I only feel, like, the, like, because, I, I don't know, I don't think his character's so developed that you care one way or the other, but, like, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, now she's gonna be- He's kind of the annoying brother. <laughs> like, that's just who he is. <laughs> that's very true. You're right. Oh, uh, but I, I, yeah, Harvey Keitel watching him go, too, was sad. Oh, I know. It was really hard. I love him. Me, too. You can do no wrong. That's all I got. I know. I was so busy talking about how much I love, uh, Seth, Seth Gecko. Um, <laughs> all right, you want to wrap up the episode? So yeah, so why don't you go ahead and promote yourself? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I have a podcast. It's called the AF High List Podcast. Um, me and my co-host, we are going through the 100 greatest films, um, American films of all time. That was stated by the American Film Institute in 1998. So this list has like a lot of 
huge things like Casablanca, Citizen Kane, The Godfather, like all of that stuff. We watched Schindler's List, but we are watching all of these movies completely stoned. And then we record stoned. So it's just a big stoner fest and it's a, a ton of fun. So I highly recommend it. And you guys can like come chill and hang out. And we have a great segment called Munchy Time where we just talk about the food we ate during the movie and the lovely ladies at the Jersey Ghouls. You guys sent me stuff. Jackie specifically, you sent us that lovely package. And it was awesome. <laughs> Marissa Marissa got bitter. So she's trying to, because we obviously were both from New Jersey, but I'm from South Jersey and she was raised in North. So this one's over here trying to concoct a North Jersey package. <laughs> <you> guys. <laughs> That's right, because she sent you things that I'm embarrassed of, like tasty cakes. Because <laughs> um, we don't have those in North Carolina. We do host. I am so down for more snacks. Like, that's <laughs> the greatest. Um, yeah, tasty cakes. I just didn't like those peanut butter things. <laughs> They're disgusting. Um, you you were right. They're disgusting. <laughs> they are. Everything no, I'm, I am so down for snacks all the time. So, yeah, you guys doing that just, like, made my fucking life. And it was so fun. So, I think I'm actually going to do – so, I got nostalgic. I think I'm going to send you guys a Jersey Shore package from me. Oh, damn. Because I spent, yeah, most of my life and summers down the shore. And I got to tell you, shit gets legit down the shore. Like, taffy – johnson's popcorn and like all kinds of crazy good shit so i think this summer once the board walks up and running again i didn't forget about you guys i'm gonna send you a jersey shore gift bag oh i am a thousand percent ready (laughs) (laughs) munchy time's kind of my favorite (laughs) uh yeah because like what better to do like when you're listening to a podcast than get like really hungry by two stoned assholes just talking about all the junk food they ate and like matt and i were like should we stop talking about some of the things we've been eating because i feel like people are concerned Served. <laughs> and I'm like, sometimes this is our dinner. Sometimes, like, we make dinner, or sometimes, like, we haven't eaten in a long time. Like, or it's a movie that's four hours long and we eat over four hours, not like everything at once. I think people were getting concerned. <laughs> no, I had zero judgment. I just love it all. And then I get all hungry and I want to go find what you're talking about. So, no, no judgment. <laughs> literally my favorite part. Oh, perfect. I'm so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again for coming out and for chit-chatting about uh, 90s vampires with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. This was delightful. And don't forget to check us out. Just search Jersey Ghouls on social media. You're going to find us there. Same thing for the podcast. What's your favorite podcast app? I'm sure we were there. Please search Jersey Ghouls to find us. You can check out jerseyghouls.com for the podcast, our blog, movie reviews, and just all around good times there. So thanks again for joining us. We will see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.